Certainly the feel-good story of 2010, a story I've referenced before, that incredible rescue of 33 Chilean miners trapped at the bottom of a mine. As you recall last fall, working about a half mile under the Earth's surface, 700,000 ton of rock collapsed and trapped those 33 in an underground tomb of sorts and in the deepest recesses of that mine. For 17 days, nobody knew if they were dead or alive until they drilled a hole through and found them. The trapped miners made 48 hours of reserved emergency food last for those three weeks, and then after 17 days or so, uh, food was able to be brought down in fresh water. They also put a microphone down there, and on that 17th day, they said, we're waiting for someone to rescue us. Well, um, after two long months, can you imagine 69 days in an enclosure 540 square foot? It's as big as a small studio apartment. 33 men trapped, waiting two months in darkness. Well, uh, after two months long, they... Uh, sent down a man-sized rescue capsule, as you recall, lowered it down there, and then one by one, each of the miners had to step in and put um, their trust in this capsule, and to the rescuer from above, they put their lives in their hands, and up from the grave, they arose for 20-minute perilous ride, and they came out of this little manhole-sized cover. You recall on video, they opened the door, and the president of Chile was there to say these words to each of them, welcome to life. As the fresh air filled their lungs, the joy in their hearts, one of the engineers quoted said this, it is a rare blessing when the earth gives back up those that it has trapped within. Watching these brave miners return to the embrace of their families is an indescribable joy. I loved what the second man rescued had to say, Mario Sepulveda, he said. Down there I could feel God and the devil. It was a real fight between the two. I put my hand in God's hand. That was the best choice. I knew he'd raise us up out of there. Now, thank you, Mario, for preaching most of my sermon for me. (laughs) After all, the gospel, gospel means good news, and it's the sum total of the 66, 66 books of the Bible. As I like to say, 66 books written over a span of 1,800 years by 40 different God inspired authors. One message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. One message. It's a search and rescue mission from heaven. That is really what the book is all about. Really, Jesus summed it up with his mission statement when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who trusts in me shall never die, but I will raise them up on the last day. Very succinct little message here. First of all, I'd like to know how a mere mortal man, a human being, a good prophet, or whatever you'd like to call him, could offer to say to anybody, if you put your trust in me, I'll raise you from the dead on the last day. Me, not God. I myself, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He's not saying the Father is, though the Father is. Father, God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. He's more than a mere man. And the claim to raise you up from the grave, and anybody who calls on his name, is evidence. Now, he says, because I live, you will live also. That Christ rises from the dead gives us hope that we too may rise because we have union with him. 
So this morning, we're going to talk about Easter in terms of search and rescue. How did we get into this predicament and what God has done to save us? How to escape from the wrath of God and perishing and live forever in heaven. That's what the story is all about. Paul the Apostle had a real knack at explaining what this good news is all about. In his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesus was a place, he planted a church there, and he wrote a letter inspired by God to those new believers in Ephesus. It's called Ephesians, and that is part of our New Testament Bible, inspired by God. And to these folks, he explains to them the essence of what it means to be a Christian, to be united in faith to the Lord. And it's very clear. In chapter 1, for context of Ephesians chapter 1, he's saying, I pray to God, literally, that you might understand this wonderful love that God has shown you. And he, and he goes on to say that your eyes of your heart would be open so you could fully grasp this incredible hope that is ours and all the rich blessings that are coming our way and all the power God has given you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, chapter 2 and verse 1, he's going to, now that he's brought up the resurrection, he's going to say, think about why you needed the resurrection. Let's look back, Christians, on what we used to be and what everybody is before Christ finds them. And then let's look at what God has done for us. And sometimes when you look back on a dramatic event like that, it really brings such gratitude and joy. Uh, you know, most of you know that 10 years ago I had a bout with cancer that almost killed me. I was in the hospital there at UCSF for two months. And a bone marrow transplant that worked, and God blessed me, and I'm alive 10 years later with no problems at all. They said I don't even have to go for checkups anymore, which is awesome. But my wife and I like to kind of bring it up and talk about it because, I mean, it was a, a close call. And then we talk about all the ways that we were devastated and all the ways that God came through for us. And then we come away with a new appreciation of our marriage, our family, and all the good things in life. And this, my friend, is what Paul the Apostle is about to do to you. He's saying, let's look back at the bone marrow transplant ward. <laughs> and sometimes we don't want to do that, but, you know, you're trapped today, so you have to. <laughs> at least for the next few minutes. So we're going to take a look at that. So looking back now, starting at Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. That's where we're going to read from. I'll give you a second to do that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You know how to remember that, right? God's Electric Power Company. G-E-P-C. All right, never mind. How about George Eats Potato Chips? <laughs> That's closer to home for some of you. <laughs> Verse 1, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, trusting. It's not of yourselves, it's gift of God not by being good or doing something so that no one can boast. 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Really, just two points this morning. Verses 1 through 3 speak of our fall, and verses 4 through 10, our rescue. So let's talk about that. The bad news first. You know, when somebody says to you, uh, I got good news and bad news, which do you want first? Well, Paul likes to hear the bad news first, and I, I agree. I like to hear the bad news first and close on an up note. Amen? How many of you are like that? Good. That's better than the other way around. Have everybody, no, no hands go up there. That would have been awesome. Here's, here is the paraphrase. Wow, that was a close call, wasn't it? You who sit in the pew. As far as God and the life he gave you, You used to be dead, stone, cold, dead. Spiritually speaking, a corpse. Your sins did that to you. Those were the days you followed the bad example of the world in all its immorality, marching to the beat of guess who? The devil, who's the true force behind those who are always doing the wrong thing. All of us now... Know what it's like to give in to that sensual, sinful passion and live for ourselves and our own pleasures? And where did that kind of thing get us? Except on the other side of God's heated displeasure. So first, the bad news. Paul paints it as vividly and graphically and clear as he can. It's not a very popular philosophy that man by nature is separated from God and and not basically good, but basically bad. And that is the Bible's take. And it kind of takes the burden off of us because we need a savior. He says, none of you can be good enough. You've all sinned and fallen short. And uh, that is why Christ needed to die for us. Well, being spiritually dead is the condition that God always finds anyone who ever ends up in heaven. The first prerequisite to be raised to heaven is that you were spiritually dead. That's what qualifies you. Not that you had it together and God takes out a giant balance beam or whatever at the end and says, hmm, good, bad, hmm, let me see. Well, you did more than good than bad. You're in. That's not how it works biblically. He says because the bad is bad and you'd have to be perfectly good to stand in God's presence. So nobody can qualify by works of righteousness. That's why you have a savior. And it takes the pressure off of you. That's what stirs our hearts this morning, is that he did that for me because I couldn't do it. So God says, I'm your savior. So spiritually dead, why? Because of these two words, transgressions and sins. In the Greek, transgressions, it's a word we don't use a lot, Paratama in the Greek, it means to willfully step over a line. So somebody draws a line in the sand and said, I dare you to stand up, uh, step over that. You go, no problem, step. For example, thou shalt not lie. There's my line. And then we say, excuse me, who made you the boss of me? And if I need to lie, and, and when I want to consider something a lie or not, and I'll tell you whether this is a lie or not, and we step over, that's called rebellion. And then the other Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. So in other words, it's a picture of an archer aiming at a bullseye. God says, that's the bullseye you got to hit. And the arrow goes off the other way. In other words, he says... Um, I'd like you to treat others in the way you would like to be treated. That's the bullseye. Hit it. And the arrow goes every day. The arrow on that one goes. So, in other words, as um, commentator Stott said, transgression speaks of man as a rebel. Sin speaks of man as a failure. Before God, therefore, we are both rebels and failures who need to be saved. Well, how did this happen? Some of the newbies here might say, and I'm glad you asked that. It's a sad story. Here, first let me tell you about something I read last week. The fall happened. Well, this is a fall that literally happened. 
Authorities say AP Network News. Authorities say a rock climber was killed at Joshua Tree National Park when his rope snapped and he fell 150 feet, a coroner spokesman said Wednesday. The man and his partner were on one of the park's tallest rock formations called Saddle Rock. They were traversing a popular climbing route called A Walk on the Wild Side, Joshua Tree National Park spokesman said. Well, it reminded me of another walk that we all took. Different time, different place. It wasn't the National Park. It was the Garden of Eden. And there were two climbers who represented me and you and everybody else in the world. Adam and Eve, our representatives. And then at the dawn of time, then and the dust of creation, not even really settled yet. The constellations were spinning in perfect order. The land animals were grazing peacefully. The birds were soaring, the plants were in full bloom, and so were the fruit trees. And man and his woman, man and wife, lived in perfect harmony with one another and with God. Everything was perfect. The Lord backed up from that picture and said, this is very good. Well, God said, by the way, this love that I have between us, It necessitates a choice, Adam. You see all the trees? You're free to eat from any of them. But there's going to be one tree that I'm going to put a line, a boundary around. Don't eat that tree. Because in the day you eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, he called it, you will surely die. Period. You will surely die. Now, enter God's adversary. The word in Hebrew, Satan, means adversary, enemy. And he says to Eve, now, Eve, did God really say die? Maybe he said pie. Maybe, maybe that fruit could be made into the most yummy pie. That's what he was saying. It's pie, not die. Get your ears checked, man. Well, she says, no, I, I really do think. I think he said, die. Yeah, he said, don't even touch it. Don't go near it. And then he said, listen, Eve, girl, you're playing it safe. You are boring. You are uncreative. You are a clone, a little ro- robot. You're a cookie-cutter Christian. Well, maybe not Christian yet. Step out, man, for a walk on the wild side with moi. Then you'll be really living. Because God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. And you'll be having as much fun as he has. So she did. And ate. And then gave to him. And he ate. And then the rope snapped. And they plunged into spiritual death and darkness. And with them, all of us as well. Because, my friend, we were in them. We were, I don't know, we were preloaded. We were in them. All of us were in Adam and Eve. Now, physical death, not to mention a host of other calamities to nature. The Bible says all creation was then subjected to futility. There were no tsunamis, my friend, before Pandora's box was open and we, the, the rope was snapped. No earthquakes, no disease, no pestilence. And so death had to come. It was a long time in coming there before the flood, but it came nonetheless. When Adam sinned, the Bible says in Romans 5.12, sin entered the world. And through sin, death came to all men, because all sinned. Seven-year-old Johnny comes home from Sunday school, and he says, It's so unfair, Mama. It is so unfair. And uh, Mama says, What's up? What's unfair? Well, Adam did it, not me. 
we are all in trouble because of something Adam did. Well, I, I suppose she said Adam, the youth pastor at the Rock. <laughs> no, Mom, Adam in the Bible. All right. Well, Mom saw the kids struggling, so he, she, took a beautiful box, wrapped it up very in an attractive manner, and put it on the dining room table and said, Johnny, come here. Um, This is not for you. You are to never open this package. This is for somebody else. It's not meant for you. Stay clear of this. If you do open it, there's going to be hell to pay. Four days later, the box is shredded. Johnny with big brown eyes and tears in his eyes. Mom, I opened a box. And she said, Johnny, you're not going to get a spanking. This is a lesson to you. God's not unfair, is he? You have done the same thing that Adam did. You are proven that you are related to him by the things you do. We deserve the same punishment because we do the same kinds of things. The apple, my friends, did not fall very far from the tree before we jumped on the little morsel that remained and gobbled it all down. We are just like them. And we prove that every time we sin. I'm related to the sinners, to those climbers who don't have spiritual life. We prove that. You know, we, didn't, we do it by nature. Nobody had to teach my kids the word mine. They just knew that word, you know. Nobody had to tell them, look, when you get a toy, hug it to your chest. Don't give it to anybody else. It just all came natural. When you don't get your way, let me show you how to do this. You throw yourself down on the ground and turn beet red. Watch daddy. <laughs> you laugh. I didn't have to do that, though maybe I have in the past. <laughs> Nobody had to teach us how to sin. It's in our blood. My first, our first words were, share? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> well, the Lord uses the term death there in your text in a way more profound way than just cessation of life in your body. He means spiritual death, eternal separation from the source of life, eternal separation from light and love and truth, an eternal rope-snapping free fall away from that. That's what he meant. Think of it this way. Now, there's a show that I like, Shark Tank. And um, on that show, most of you already know, that these uh, millionaires offer to help entrepreneurs who are selling a stake in their company or their ideas for, a, for some capital investment and maybe a share of the company's worth there. Now, there's a guy on there, Kevin O'Leary. He's a calloused, little, greedy, money-hungry investor. And here's how it usually works. Kevin will say something like, I'll give you $80,000 for your company, and I want 51% so that I can have control. So the person stands there, and they have to, to, to decide right there on the spot with the, with the cameras rolling. And as they are waiting, Kevin says, turn, and you will be dead to me. Turn around. The second you turn around, the deal's done over. You won't get a dollar. From me. Turn around, I'll never think of you again. It'll be severed forever. You're dead. Now, it's one thing to turn your back and not get any Kevin's money. It's another thing, my friend, to turn your back on the living God and not have life. For he is the source of life. And he reaches out to us. And he says, Adam and Eve, you are in fellowship with me. Disconnect from me, you will die. And they did. And their babies were born, stillborn, spiritually speaking. The first one to be born, 
of two folks created perfectly, but fell spiritually and died. Their firstborn son is Cain, who gets jealous of his brother and kills him in cold blood in the Garden of Eden. The fruit of that womb... Oh, I almost said fruit of the loom. (laughs) (laughs) The fruit of her womb, Cain, (laughs) was a murderer. That's the firstborn of us. Cold blood. What a shock in paradise to see the bloodshed of a brother. And so that's really what God's talking about. So what does he say? Paul says in your text, this deadness manifests clearly in a few ways here in our lives. One, you are eagerly following the the corrupt culture you live in. Two, you're marching to the beat of the evil one. Three, you live self-centered and self-indulgent lives. And four, you're under God's righteous anger and judgment as a result of these things. Let's just mention them. They're right in your verses two and three. He says, this spiritual deadness is clearly seen in you following the ways of this world. When he says this world, what he means is the, the anti-Christian societal value system that's alien to God. The way the world thinks. Like, if it feels good, do it. Um, if you hurt me, I'll get revenge. If you don't hurt me, I'll get revenge anyway. Uh, if, you, if I don't like you, <laughs> I'll talk smack about you. Um, if I do like you, I'll talk smack about you. Um, <laughs> It's okay to have sex before marriage. And show me the guy who doesn't look at porn. This is everybody does it, therefore it's kind of okay to do it. The, the world's thinking. And he says, when someone is spiritually dead, you take those cues around. You look around, you look at the movie stars and go, well, that must be okay because they're doing it. And he says, when you don't have life from God, you don't have the wisdom or the power or the discernment or, that, or the ability to say no. You're just adrift with the rest of the world. And they say things like, when I took my car in, I've told you this before, a hundred little miles over the warranty for a new transmission. This is years ago. And the guy says, checks it out, and he says, the new tranny will cost you $3,000. And I just gulped. Oh, no. And he says, you do realize you're just 100 miles over. And I said, yes. And then he says something I'll never forget. Now, Mr. Ryman, I'm as honest as the day is long. Now, whenever you hear that, you know however's coming. (laughs) However, let's look at it this way. I adjust the figures on the mileage form... You get a brand new transmission for free, and I get paid. It's all good. And I said, no, it's not all good. That's all bad. That's not going to work for me. But it's the way the world thinks, you know. I had a friend who went to a therapist because of a problem he was having with pornography. He said to the therapist, I have this problem, and I have a lot of guilt. I just can't stop doing this. The therapist said, so it's wrong to look at pornography. The guy said, yeah. And the therapist said, you don't just see it as biology. It's just sex. It's just biology. There's no moral component to it. It's just two people having biological relations. What you need to do is change the way you look at what you call pornography. Therefore, when you view it, you won't have guilt because you've changed the way that you value what you call porn. Well, after he wrote a check for $125, he left and he didn't take that advice because that's the way the world... Paul says, when you are spiritually dead and not connected to God. You're going to follow that. And then he says in your verse, and who do you think's behind all those ideas? Those aren't your ideas. Somebody else is kind of playing this tune, and people are magically under a spell following. He's the unseen Pied Piper of Hamlin. 
the legend. The kids turn up missing in this German village. They see this guy come through with a little clarinet or whatever, and he's playing this tune. And the children just look up, and they're dazed, and they follow, and he takes them away, so says the story, forever. They never return to the village. Paul the Apostle says, oh, there's somebody at work here, folks. You think this is all uh, these Hollywood ideas? There's somebody behind this that's playing a tune. And when you're spiritually dead, that's all you can hear. You can't hear the Father's voice. You only hear the Pied Piper's tune. And the bottom line, he says, dead to God means you're cut off from heaven's wisdom and the power to see past the deception and to say no to sin. You follow others who are morally corrupt, and you're a slave to your own sinful passions. It's all about you, and there's nothing you can do about it because you're dead. Now, that was the heart of it, and now he says, and even though these behaviors come quite natural to you, you're still the object of God's righteous judgment. Now, I said that to somebody. It made him very mad. And he said, excuse me, now, God, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to come into this place. This wasn't my idea. I'm not responsible. In other words, he was telling me right here, the parking lot, somebody who doesn't go here, I don't feel obligated to make moral, spiritual course corrections because I didn't author these circumstances. You're talking about Adam and Eve who fell in my place and Christ who died in my place and a devil that's uh, playing his tune. I'm just like an innocent bystander caught in the middle. I don't even have to do anything. This isn't my idea. So I said... Let's say I send you to the bank. I said, go to B of A, make this deposit for me. You end up at Wells Fargo by mistake. You walk in, and you walk smack dab into a robbery. Bad guys waving guns, hostages, cops are behind you, yelling to you at the door. I suppose you're going to say, hey, yo, I didn't ask for any of this. <laughs> this wasn't my idea. I got sent here by somebody else. I don't even bank here. By the way, is this Bank of America? Because I'm in the wrong bank. <laughs> it's not my idea. It wasn't my idea to come here. I'm not even in the place I should be. Therefore, I'm just going to stand here and let you shoot me. Listen, my friend. Because you aren't the author of the situation doesn't release you from moral responsibility because you're in the bank. Now, if I were you, I would suggest that you get run for cover if there's a way to be safe. And then, my friend, you can figure out the logistics later, how you ended up at the bank at that time and the crossfire and all of that. You can figure that out. But if you find yourself on the Titanic for whatever reason you got on the boat and the boat is saying, we're going down, could you just do something about it? Get in the lifeboat and we can figure it out later. There's imminent danger. Whether or not you put yourself in it, or no. And so that was one thing. Now, on to our rescue, our last point here, that God in his love, he knew how desperate the situation was, and he, and he created a way out. Here's the paraphrase. Things were hopeless, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were spiritually dead in our sins. It's all by grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heaven. We're as good as there with him now. This rescue, eternal life, getting into heaven and escaping hell is a complete gift. It has nothing to do with you being good. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And not one person will ever be able to take credit for it or boast about it in any way since it's a gift given freely by God. Three words in your verse really sum up the Easter story and the rescue. Love, mercy, and grace. Now, the Greek word for love, agape, 
It's that unconditional love that loves for the sake of loving. It's the kind of love that will love you when you're at your worst. It's God's love that doesn't want anything in return. It's the kind of love that when it's being nailed to a piece of wood that he created, the tree, when it's getting nailed to the tree that he created himself, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. That's unconditional love, and he has that for all of us. And then there's mercy, elios in the Greek, and it just means this good and kind intention towards somebody who's undeserving. And then there's grace, charis in the Greek. It means unmerited sweet favor. Now, uh, I tell stories about my kids a lot, and one of them is I just caught eyes and I remembered something he did once. He got in trouble. That's hard to believe. But PJ was sitting on a timeout. I was nearby reading, and he really wanted to get off a timeout. So I'm reading, and PJ says, Dad, what's the difference between grace and mercy? So I, I said to him, because they asked me questions, and so I was lost. I wasn't onto it yet. And I said, so grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And then he looked at me. <laughs> and uh, I usually let him off time out for being that creative. <laughs> Grace, mercy, and love shown to us from God. And it began with love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. See, he's prompted by this love. And, the, and there's another Greek word that when it's used of it, in the Bible, it only is used of God and the Lord. Compassion. And in Greek, it says, spiknizomai, which means to tear the gut. Jesus has that kind of compassion for us to come down here and rescue folks at the bottom of the ditch who didn't even want to be rescued. A dad and uh, his son were playing soccer in Martinez about 10 years ago after a long series of storms, and a sinkhole opened up and swallowed the boy alive. Dad... He screamed, help me. It's dark down here. He's quoting. I read the article. He he was being quoted. The words were, there are snakes down here. He saw the roots from the trees. The father moved with love. He goes into that sinkhole. What father would not? Jesus is always saying... (laughs) If you guys know how to be good fathers, what do you think about him? You guys are marred with evil natures. How much more does God know how to rescue and bless his dearly loved children? And so that was the tearing of the gut. He sees us fall. And he says, you know what? Let them all be born. They're dead. Let them all be born. Let them all have a choice. They didn't all get a choice, did they? Adam and Eve made our choice, and now he says, let them all be born, and I will knock on the door of every one of their hearts, and they will have a choice for their own, and nobody on Judgment Day will be able to say, excuse me, I wasn't in the garden, but he'll say, excuse me, I was with you in your life. Do you recall this time? Do you recall this time? Do you recall this time you had a choice? So that's the deal. God puts the rescue plan into motion. Grace, he comes down through the human virgin womb of Mary. Doesn't have a father because he is the father. He's called the eternal father. And he comes down in compassion. He's born a baby. God, the second person of the Trinity, is born a human baby. Grows up lives your perfect life, does the work for you, and then says, I willingly lay down my life and get on that cross and say, Father, they have sinned. Blame me. Put it on me. Punish me for them. Open fire, Father, 
full bore on 10 for the sins of the world. The Bible says that he was marred beyond human recognition. When you looked at Jesus on the cross, you couldn't tell that he was a man. That's because Jesus said, I'll drink the cup for them. We'll trade. They'll be able to get off the hook because I paid for it. So, not like other religions where God, I guess, I don't know what he does about sin. He winks at it or what? I mean, God says, no, I'm not winking. I paid. Jesus, last words, second to last words. It is finished on the cross. It means to pay a debt in full. Paid it so that you don't have to pay. Compassion, love, mercy, and grace. And then you might be thinking here, well, then we're all saved. That's not biblical. There's one part that's missing. God's CPR to save you, to put that resurrection life in you, to to start the generator of eternal life in you, comes with your asking. There's a door of your heart, and the handle's only on the inside. He will knock. If you hear his voice in life, he will stir the dead person enough to understand the gospel and to make a choice. And as we are choosing yes, we are coming alive. And as we are choosing no, we are dying. That's the Bible's take anyway. So there's a choice to be made. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, but they didn't recognize him. Yet to anyone who received him, to those who trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. you got to trust you got to clear and open the way for him to be able to come and do the CPR. He's a perfect gentleman. He will not give somebody life who wishes not to have anything to do with him and wants to try a different way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to heaven but by me. And until we do that and open our hearts, he, he's not going to come in and give you that born again Holy Spirit life. So, my friend, your text tells you this. You can never be good enough. It's not a question of being good. It's a question about being dead or alive. That's the question. He won't say, were you good enough? He'll say, did you come to life? If you came to life, you will be saved. If you did not, you will not. Now, our good works that we're supposed to do, they come as a result of having been given the gift. And once God's love comes into our heart, of course, we're we're supposed to do good works, but we do good works as a response of having already uh, received heaven's gift, not in an effort to obtain it. There's a big difference. You can't be good enough. That's why we need a Savior. One of my friends said once, all Christians remind me of a turtle on a fence post. I said, uh, what does that mean? He said, every time you look at it, you know that somebody put him there. He couldn't have done that. Every Christian who's experienced this love of God and this resurrection life in their hearts. I mean, Mary Magdalene used to be a prostitute. And now she's the first witness of the resurrection. Paul the Apostle used to kill Christians. He's a persecutor of the church. And then resurrection power happened, and he became somebody else. So this thing about coming to life and being raised from the dead, it happens when your heart stops, but it also happens when your heart trusts. When you open up to God, this is the thing I never got until I was 19 years old. I never understood it. They preached the gospel to me all day long. I never understood that you become a new person and that life enters into you and you're transformed. Never got that. I always pictured the old Ross doing Christian things. And I remember telling a guy on the street corner who was preaching to me, holding a Bible, just preaching away. I said, I can never be a Christian, ever. I don't like the things you guys like. My values are different. He says, no, you don't understand. But I didn't understand. I just pictured me. 
in a church, being bored out of my mind and waiting to get out of there and so I could go have some fun. He didn't tell me. You open your heart, something mysterious happens. God's spirit comes inside you and raises you from the dead. And now you start to like different things. You start to pay attention to the good and evil around you. You think different thoughts. You have different kinds of cravings. And you finally have the power to tell your bad boy self, no. Amen? There's a couple bad boys right there in the second (laughs) row. (laughs) In conclusion, the miners, they had to have faith. Didn't they? A little 12-foot canister. It looked almost like a little coffin. Get in this. Well, I'm going to haul you up a half mile. All the worries was if it spins too much, if it's going to break and crash. They had to step in in faith and say it's all up to the guy up there. (laughs) It is, isn't it? What do you got to lose? You know Pascal's wager. You've heard of this before. He says, look, come to Christ. There's a threat over your eternal soul. Come to Christ. That's the logical thing to do here. Because if it's not true and you come to Christ, you've lost nothing. You've got a new faith community. You live a higher moral life. You've lost nothing. But if you don't come and your wager is that he's not true and the Bible's wrong, you'll lose everything. It doesn't make sense for you to wager apart from the cross of Christ, the love of God, the promise of eternal life. It just doesn't make sense. Let's consider his love, his grace, and his mercy and the Christians here to remember exactly who we were and what we are without the love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are overjoyed to look back and see, wow, you, you saved us. You put that heavenly life in us already. We're amazed, God. We love you, and we, we pray a special prayer for those who are drawn here for whatever reason they find themselves in smack dab in a Christ-believing church having to fight all of those head arguments again and all those emotions and try to find their way through it, would you help them and speak to them by your Holy Spirit that you, did, you haven't come to condemn them, but you came in love to save people. The cross is evidence of your great love for them. Help them to soften their hearts and believe and let you come and bring life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. At the end of every service, I always uh, give an opportunity for those who wish to become uh, Christian, to know the Lord and his love, and to have your heart filled with his Holy Spirit and that amazing grace. He's made it so very easy. He said this, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Eternal life, everything for for nothing but trust, simple trust. That's all you can bring to the table, he says. And my friend, if God forbid the worst thing happened and you perish, the sting in hell is this, how easy it is. You could have avoided eternal loss. Just a change of heart. That's it. That's all he wants from you. 
And then he comes in, he helps you, he's your father, he'll wash your sins away and give you a new life. That's the message of the Bible, the one that we preach, and on Easter, proof that it's true. So we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. We have pastors over in, in the, on the other campus, on the other side. So if you'd like to make a decision for Christ, the pastors are over there watching for hands. If you'd like to make that decision to give Christ your life and accept the peace that he's made on the cross for you, just slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I'm going to give my heart to Christ. And there are already several hands raised high. Amen. Thank you. And I see you in the back as well. Four or five. All right, we've got at least five here and probably a few on the other buildings. So we're going to help you out. We're going to pray just a traditional, what we call a sinner's prayer. It's like your, your first prayer. You just admit what God says to admit, and boom, he says, I'll save you. So let's pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. Please save me. I believe you came, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again and that you're alive. Now come into my open heart. Fill me with your love, with your spirit, and with eternal life. Today I dedicate myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now if you said that prayer, we're going to have people by the cross willing to pray with you. If you have a prayer concern, and you're not a new believer, but from now on there's always going to be people available to pray at the cross, around the cross, after every service. So you just go over there and somebody will meet with you and sit with you and pray and you pour out your heart a little bit. If you just say, I have an unspoken request, you'll get prayed for. We also have Bibles and a little booklet, Now What? for new believers. And so we just point you to the cross and uh, after service you get some support because you need us and we need you. We're family now. Now, Father, we commit all of us to your care and to your hands we commit our lives. May you fill our Eastern homes with your peace no matter what we're going through. We all have struggles and some of them are kind of rough today. And holidays are hard. We pray that we would turn to you and worship you in the quietness of our hearts and realize that you're with the lonely. You're with those who are hurting. And you said, come to me all who are heavy and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. So give us rest today in your love. Quiet our hearts with your love and let us know if God is for us, who could be against us. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for an empty tomb. We're so very grateful. In Christ's name, we commit ourselves to you. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you. You're free to go. We'll see you Wednesday or next Sunday. God bless you.